It is a privilege to be here with you all today, and uh, I know as I was driving out here, I was listening to Christmas music and thought it was really great just to see the snow, but it wasn't a hindrance on the road or anything, but uh, really felt like Christmas today. But at any rate, I am uh, very glad to be here. As I said, I know a few of you in the room, most of you I do not know, but uh, it has been a joy to get to meet most of you here today, and I hope to meet the rest of you before I leave. I want to bring a message to you today, primarily from the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, is where I'll be for the most part today. Don't you love it when you cut on a light, when you enter a room, and the light bulb blows, just boom. You know, it's, it's not a problem, really, a big deal. You just change out the bulb unless that bulb happens to be uh, in the ceiling, you know, then that's a little bit more of a difficult thing for me, I know, to do. But still, light is great. You know, Thomas Edison invented the electric light bulb in 1879. In 1901, a bulb was hung and turned on in Livermore, California at the fire department. It's still there. You ready? It's still on. Having only been turned off a couple of times for short periods of time in the past 122 years. Now, when I first read this story, I could not believe this, that this light has just been on this whole time. But the bulb would have burned out 852 times by now by today's standards, but it's famously called the centennial light bulb. The bulb was hand-blown with a thick carbon element by the Shelby Electric Company in Ohio. The company did not survive. They made light bulbs to last, and nobody ever had to reorder. Would it be great to have a bulb that would uh, just stay on whenever we wanted it and never have to go off? You know, I, I think about that a lot of times when I think about light. If we could ever get the light of Christ into the life of this world, what a world it would be. We're, we're assured of that in God's Word. It's up to us, but it would be great to have that kind of light. So I want to talk to you about light today that you can depend on in a world that I think desperately needs to see light. It gets darker, it seems like, every day. You watch the news. It's depressing a lot of times just to hear the things that are happening around the world. And quite frankly, it's gotten depressing to hear about the things that are happening right in our own country. There's a darkness that is descending upon our world. But the Bible tells us not to really despair about that because 2,700 years ago, Isaiah the prophet wrote some inspiring words. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, and first part of verse 3. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. The result of the light that came upon the world at that time was joy. People weren't depressed. They weren't unhappy. They found a, a sense of, of peace. They found a sense of happiness that they did not have before. And they were living in a very dark world where enemies all around them were threatening to overthrow them. But then you have to ask the question, the result of the light is joy. Then the source of the light is what? He answers that question, again, going back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne 
and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A child is the source of the light. Isaiah speaks of this child in glowing terms. So who is this child? Well, the child happens to be, you know, Jesus, because that was a predictive prophecy by Isaiah, and it was fulfilled some 700 years later after he made the prophecy. Jesus is the light that illuminates the darkness of this world. If people just look at him, at what he has to offer, illumination can come. Jesus made this statement that I am the light of the world when he was in the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacle in the temple. It was autumn, and the days of winter were upon them. They were fast approaching. The temple was aglow with light from four large stands that were in the court of the, of the women. Each stand had four cauldrons in it. And when they lit them all, 16 cauldrons, they would almost light that whole section of Jerusalem. And he stood underneath this light, this source of light, and made this statement, I am the light of the world. And the people were left to contemplate that for just a moment. What does he really mean by that? Jesus, in saying this, was making a, a powerful statement about himself and about God's mission to our world. Now, if I go to that chapter I referred to earlier, John chapter 8, where we'll spend most of our time today, in John chapter 8, verse 12, as Jesus stands there, underneath these great lights, he says, Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's not just the light for Jerusalem, but he's talking about light that goes to anybody who would be open to receiving his light. Why is that so significant? Well, let's just take a look at the nature of light. Light, first of all, dispels darkness. It dispels darkness. What you have there is illumination. Now, the Greek word for, for light is the word phos, from which we get our word photograph. We um, see anything attached to light. Phos would be that word that would be used. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse number 3, it says, And God said, and this was just at the time of creation, of course, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. All he had to do was speak it into existence, and it happened. Before that time, total darkness over the world. But when he said, let there be light, then suddenly light illuminated the dark world. Previous to God's pronouncement, the earth was covered in total darkness, and the light shattered the darkness. So light dispels darkness. But also, there's a spiritual use of light. In Psalm 119, verse 105, longest chapter in the Bible, longest psalm certainly in the Bible, these words, your word, talking about the book, not the word Jesus says at this point, but your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What this suggests very strongly to us is we have an opportunity to get direction from what God gives us. When the light comes into the world, it enlightens all the things around us, everything we need to see, everything we need to live the life that Christ wants us to live. And we find it in this book, all about what we need in direction for our, our lives. 
So it gives us direction, light does. But then light also produces life. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, John writes about the eternal nature of the Word, and this time the Word means Jesus, not the Word is in his book, but the Word named Jesus. If you go to the book of John, chapter 1, the very first chapter, take a look at verses 4 and 5. In him, and this means the Word, meaning Jesus Christ, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It's been that way all along. God sh sheds his light into the world, and the world just does not see it. It's incredible. It's like it remains in darkness, stumbling around, but the light is available, and it's there not just to illuminate the way for us, but it actually produces that which we need to live life. Light and life go together at this point. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul had these words to say about our response to the light. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. I like that statement. You were once in darkness, all of us were, but then something happened. God shed his light into your life, and if you receive it, you become part of the children of the light live as children of the light. To embrace the light is to embrace life and live in its influence. And that light and life is found only in Jesus Christ. So we're called to live as people of the light as how we make a difference in our world. And it's only through Jesus that that is made possible. We have to shine that light of Jesus into this dark world that we have. I don't know about you, but I sit around sometimes and I think about my grandchildren. I think about the world that they're living in, what they're going to grow up in. And I see the darkness that's everywhere. And I worry. I know you're not supposed to worry. But I worry about what they're going to grow up with. But then things happen. They kind of give me hope that maybe this child, maybe your grandchildren will make a difference in the world. They'll be the one that was born in this world with a, a special mission that God has given to them to shed his light in a special way. I mean, who would have ever thought of people like Billy Graham out in North Carolina growing up there? Nobody knew who he was. Just a good old country boy. Billy Graham led hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. You never know what your child is going to do. Why? Because when light gets involved in a person's life, it changes their whole perspective. They see things differently. They see people differently. They make a difference. Light responds to the needs that are there found in the darkness. You know, I know that we all looked at adjustments we were making when we were going through that COVID pandemic. Everybody remembers that. Just get that in our past and leave it there. But the COVID pandemic, we took a good look at what we could do to help. I know a lot of people got real interested in helping folks get food. And so there were just different drives that were there to, to help people find the food that they needed. People just didn't have the money to spend on clothes and things like that. And I saw it. Didn't have to leave this area, this church, other churches just kind of did what they could to help people get their needs met. That's light shining in the darkness. I like one of our missions that we support at our church is Samaritan's Purse. Billy Graham's son is the president of Samaritan's Purse. Anywhere there's a crisis, you'll find Samaritan's Purse. 
offering what they have, even medical attention. They have doctors that work with them. You know, I, we just finished this thing called Operation Christmas Child, and a lot of churches participated in that. These little boxes, just shoe boxes like that, they get all kinds of stuff put in there for kids all around the world, and those boxes are sent all around the world. Our church was a distribution center, so we saw these big trucks coming in. We had to take all the chairs out of our auditorium, and we could seat about 400 people in that auditorium, but we took all the chairs out, and there was just row after row of tables in there with these boxes are stacked as high as they could stack them. And then out into the lobby, it, it overflowed into the lobby, and the big trucks came. We saw these semis with double trailers on the back, and they're hauling those out. And I sat there watching that day as they were going off of the parking lot. I thought, I don't know where all those boxes are going, anywhere from Africa to, you know, Europe. There's all kinds of places all around the world where these things go. And I thought, that's light shining in the world. There are children who will come to know Jesus Christ because they've received something like that. Then there's all of us just encouraging words, deeds that we did for other people, just letting his light shine through us. Jesus made a claim about himself, I am the light of the world, and it was validated by the Father. You know, when Jesus proclaimed he was the light of the world, please hear all that is in those words, I am the light of the world. There's seven statements made in the, book, or the Gospel of John that begin with the two words, I am. Do you know what God's name is? Some would say Jehovah, some would say Yahweh. When Moses asked, who shall send me into Egypt to release the people? Remember God's response? You tell them, I am has sent you. Now, what's the significance of that, I am? I am simply means... He is the God of the present. He's always in the present. Now, there's a past for all of us. There's a future. But for God, there's always just his presence in our present time. John chapter 8. Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus talking to these people as he stands under these big bulbs of light, you know. And he says, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told, you, I told you that so that you would know that you would die in your sins. But if you believe in me, I am the one who, I claim, who claims to be, then you indeed will die in your sins. But you don't have to be that way. That's what Jesus said. You don't have to be that way. You can come to life again. So we're walking until we know Jesus Christ. We're literally walking in darkness. We're lost in our sin. But Jesus says, I am the one who makes the difference. I am. Verse number 28, he says it again about who he is. It's kind of cloaked, it seems like, almost. But if you're listening carefully to him, he says, So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, reference to the crucifixion, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what my Father has taught me you will know that I am the one I claim to be. Well, you know, a lot of the people who stood around him did not always believe who he was. A lot of them were Pharisees, the ruling class, uh, supposed to be the religious leaders of that day. And they began to drill down on him a little bit and just say, just who do you think you are? Saying these statements about who you are, the light of the world. What do you mean by that kind of thing? 
they were getting some of that context of the I am importance. And they began to ask him, you think there's a connection, or strong, that strong of a connection between you and God? Are you greater than our father Abraham? They all knew about the patriarch Abraham. Are you greater than him? Listen to the reaction of Jesus after they said that to him. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. They got the message. You're claiming to be God. You're claiming to be not just the Son of God, you are claiming to be God if you existed before Abraham did, because Abraham was hundreds and hundreds of years before this time. The validation. God said on a few different occasions at least, something wonderful would happen like Jesus uh, at his baptism. And the heavens opened up and the dove descended in the form of the Holy Spirit. He comes and God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He does it again at the transfiguration when Jesus was elevated from the earth and there stands to the two great prophets, Moses and Elijah. And there's the three disciples sitting there watching this whole thing, kind of scared of what's going on. And the voice of God again says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Validation. God knew who his son was. They've known each other since eternity began. That sounds strange to say it, since eternity began. Eternity just is eternity. It doesn't matter. It's got no past. It's got no future. It's just eternity. When we look at Jesus, we're looking at God. What he does when he comes to this world is he reveals God to us. God sent Jesus to the world on a mission of light so that we can get out of the darkness. Going back to John chapter 18 again, look at verse number 16. Just, just the second half of that verse. It says, I stand with the Father who sent me. I stand with the Father who sent me. And then he continues and says, in your own law it is written that testimony of two men is valid. So if a man's making some kind of a statement, some kind of a charge or something like uh, that's legal, he's got to have two witnesses. So what Jesus is saying is, I stand with the Father. In your own law it is written that the testimony of the law uh, of the two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. He's looking for that validation to say, I am who I say I am. And God the Father says that too, if you're really listening. God bears witness of who his son is. He validates him. Jesus knew the law, and he knew that they didn't apply it correctly all the time. So he's trying to illuminate their minds. If they could just stop and think about it for a second, to look at the things Jesus did, listen to the things he said, to look and to listen is to see and hear God. When you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, there's something interesting there that said um, about who Jesus is. Well, there's a good deal of stuff that's said right there in, in Hebrews, chapter 1. But in verse number 3, it says, The Son, referring to Jesus, is the radiance of of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
the exact representation of who God is. That's what you're looking at when you look at Jesus. We get to look at him through the lens of Scripture. That's a powerful thing, just to look at Jesus through the lens of Scripture and see all the truth that's there for us to understand about who Christ is. But we need not make any mistake about it. To look at him through the lens of Scripture and penetrate, you can see who he is. There's a song that we still sing oftentimes. It's most of the time we sing the chorus, just the chorus of it. You know the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. See him in the pages of this book. You'll find him. You'll see him very clearly, who he is. I watched a movie years ago, and I've watched it a few times since, and I get a kick out of the movie Hook. You remember Hook? Robin Williams played the part of a grown-up Peter Pan, and he gets to go back to Never Never Land, and the kids that are there at Never Never Land, they never grow up, the little boys, the small boys, they never grow up, you know. And they look at him, he tries to tell them who he is. I'm Peter, I'm Peter, look at me, I'm Peter. And that's not the Peter they knew, he was a younger guy and, you know, much smaller. They can't believe it until one of the kids just comes up to him real close and just looks him right in the eye, kind of feels his face a little bit, and then he goes, oh, there you are, Peter. But he had to examine to make sure who he was looking at. And that's what we've got as evidence of who Christ is, is right here in this book. We look at him, and he said, there you are. I see you now. I see the miracles. I hear the words that you taught. I know who you are. And so for us, Jesus is validated by the Father, and that's all the difference in the world because when we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at God. And you can see Jesus by just looking in the pages of this book. Now, what are the implications of Jesus' claim? What does it mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, one of the things that I think about is light leads to truth, to truth. Remember what Jesus said the night before his crucifixion? He's talking to his disciples. And it's right after he makes that beautiful statement about let not your heart be troubled. You know, you trust in God, trust also in me. And in my father's house are many rooms. If I were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. You know what those are? Those are words of faith, hope, and love. Love and then he says, don't let your hearts be worried. Oh, their hearts were going to be worried that next day when they saw their hero on a cross. They thought it was all over. They couldn't see beyond the grave, though. And Jesus said, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. I'm loving you enough to say you don't have to be sad the rest of your lives. Don't let that continue. Just trust me. See, what trust is is the application, the application of faith. Faith is the content of what we believe. But to act on that faith, that's where trust is involved. And he says, you're going to have to trust me on what you can't see because I'm going to go away for a while, but I'm going to come back and I'll take you to be where I am. Faith, hope, and love, isn't that what we're all supposed to believe in? That's what Paul said. Those three things matter the most. But light leads to that truth. You begin to find it. Jesus makes the statement just a couple verses later from what I just quoted. He says, I am the way. Oh, wait a minute. Who? I am the way. Don't just discount the words there. It's just good. A noun, a pronoun, and then a, a, a verb is used. I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way, I am some truth, I am some kind of formal life. He didn't say that. He says, I am the way. That's a definite article. The way, the truth, and that's right in the middle, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth. Light leads us to the truth. Truth begins and continues in God. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, do you remember what Pilate said to him? He wanted to know, who are you? I, I find that strange because Pilate was the governor of Judea. He lived in Jerusalem. I think he'd seen Jesus a time or two around Jerusalem, probably heard him speak a time or two. But now there's a trial going on. And he says, who are you? And Jesus responds that, you know, I have this kingdom. It's an interesting way of starting this thing. He says, I have this kingdom, and it's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate looks at him and says, you are a king then. Now that's a serious statement because what he's saying to him, if you're a king, you're a dead man because the emperor is not going to tolerate that. Anybody that claims to be a king and doesn't have the approval of the emperor of Rome dies. It's that simple. So he says, you say you're a king. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this I came into this world. Hear this now. I came to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's the light of the world. He can illuminate any, any problem that we have. He can illuminate any trouble that's in the world if you just listen to him. I love that statement. I came into this world to testify to the truth. There's lots of truth around the world, little t truth, you know. But the big T, the big truth of what this world is all about, what our lives are all about, that's only found in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you know it. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Truth is found in what those three things embody, faith, hope, and love. They're the essentials of our foundation in faith, uh, in, in our faith in Christ what Christianity is really all about. What's faith? Faith is knowing God. And in knowing God, we get a chance to know ourselves, who we really are in the image of our maker. You have hope. Hope is the certainty of destiny. The certainty of destiny. Hope for the rest of the world is this. I sure wish something happens. I wish something takes place. Hope, biblically, is a certainty. When God says it, it's going to happen. It's going to be true. And then there's this concept of love. And that's responding to God and others. We're supposed to do it in the way that Jesus did it. Remember when Jesus gave that little commandment, if you will, in John 13, 34? He looks at his disciples. Again, this is just the day before he's ready to be crucified. He says, I give you a new commandment, that you're to love one another as I have loved you. Now you go back to the Old Testament and find what God commanded. He wanted people to love one another. Love me. Love each other. What's new about Jesus' commandment? He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Here it comes, the newness, as I have loved you. They'd never seen, the world had never seen love like that. That's based on a commitment, not an emotion. 
So we have these three things that have been illuminated for us in the darkness. Life is lived in the context of these truths, and especially love. Love. Don't see a lot of that in the world that we have right now. Hear about it once in a while. But what that love could just be where people are committed for the best needs of somebody else and act on it. This would be a way different world. Theologian Paul Tillich once suggested that you are to distrust every claim for truth where you don't see that truth united with love. That's how powerful love really is. When you see the truth, you will find it. This love that God has given to us, this commitment that we have to each other. Another thing that light does is it leads to freedom. It leads to freedom. Going back to John chapter 8 again, to wrap up that little section of very important words. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. These are going to be very familiar words, I know. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Some of you mouth this words with me. The truth shall set you free. Free for what? Ourselves? A lot of times we're just lost in our pride. We can't find the truth for anything. Freedom is not to do whatever you want to do, but to do whatever God wants you to do. Freedom that's left up to us injures us oftentimes. Unbridled freedom does injure us. God's freedom heals us. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse number 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Light leads us to truth. It leads us to freedom. Freedom from ourselves oftentimes. I grew up in a good Christian home. My dad was a leader in the church. My mother just, my wife always said, if there's ever been a evidence of an angel on earth, that's your mother. She was that good of a Christian woman. But I wanted to do my own thing. So when I graduated from high school, I went off to college, and I was doing my own thing. It almost cost me my life with a drug overdose, but I had to start looking at life a little differently. I thought I could do anything I wanted to do, and I found out when I did that, living life every day just for kicks, I found out that life kicked back pretty hard. So I had a talk with our pastor and a couple other men back in my home church, and one of them suggested that maybe I go to a Christian college for a year or two just to get my head on straight. We got a good Christian college right in Cincinnati, Ohio, right where I grew up. I thought... My pastor was going to say, go out here to Cincinnati Christian College. He didn't. He said, there's this little school out in Illinois, right out in the middle of Illinois. It's a very good school. And that's the school I ended up going to. And it dawned on me a few years later as I was going to that school, my pastor, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jack was what we called him. Dr. Jack was telling my dad, we've got to get Tim out of the city. As long as he's in the city, he's going to continue to make some decisions that aren't real good. How far can you get out of the city when I looked out at my dormitory room over here in Illinois and I saw nothing but cornfields as far as I could see? I thought, boy, what have they done to me? What have I done to myself? But you know what I learned in that school? I learned that freedom, unbridled freedom, is destructive. But freedom to listen to God and to do what he wanted me to do, what he designed me to do, 
then I really felt a freedom inside my heart. And so I just didn't stay one year. I went ahead and stayed six years. Finished my degree there and did my graduate work there, but as I was learning all along the way, I was learning to depend upon him and found out that's where real freedom is. Freedom to make the choices that God wants me to make, how he designed me. And so I would just say this in conclusion today, that anyone who belongs to God embraces the light of his son. And when you do, you find truth, you find freedom, you find ways to navigate in this dark world. God gives us all of that. In this time of the year, that's one of the things we think about, the light of the world. Everybody's putting lights up now. Maybe not today, but everybody's starting to put lights up for Christmas celebration. Do you know why we do all those different things like that? Light is a symbol. It's not just decorations for Christmas. It's a symbol of what God has to offer in a dark world. Christmas season is upon us. We need to recognize the light. We need to be the light in the world. We're always God. So the world's pretty dark right now. And I'm reminded when I was over still at the old church before we built Clover Road Church, we were at Southside Christian Church, a nice building, just like this building is a very nice building. But the way they had the lights set up, the lights shut off at the back of the church. My office was in the front of the church. And so I had to wait a lot of times with the light. Somebody would go out the door, and invariably they would turn out the light going out the door. I'm in the darkness, you know, and I had left my office. I was in the darkness. One time my son was with me. He was about three, maybe three to four years of age, and um, somebody had just gone out and shut the light off. My son was sitting out there waiting on me right outside my office. I hear this, Dad? I said, Luke, we just got dark, Don. That was a new phrase for us. I thought, well, that makes sense. Rain on you, you know, you got rained on. We got darked on. He said, I don't like it. I said, I don't either. But as I stepped outside, I've had that happen before, so I learned to count the number of steps over to, to get through all the pews and everything, and I get out to the door. As soon as I stepped out of my office, I felt a little hand in my hip pocket, and he hung on for all it was worth because he knew I would find the light for him. And I only tell you that because that's the way it is in this life. It's dark out there. When we look outside and sunshine, that shaft of light that came in while we were singing, I looked at that and I thought, man, little evidences like that. I thank God for everything that shows me light in him. But Jesus showed us the way to that light. So I want to encourage you. If you belong to God, you all do. Embrace the light of his son. Be the light of his son. The world is really counting on it.